Well, we've been working our way through the gospel according to Abraham, this series where we look at the life of Abraham, and uh, what we've been seeing is that in the story of Abraham, in the call and uh, the work that God does in Abraham, uh, we get the pattern, we get the framework for understanding uh, how we're to think of God, what God is doing in the world, how we're to think of ourselves in relation to God, and uh, we're going to be in this series for a couple more weeks after this, and then we'll move on to something else. But uh, this is one of those passages this morning where we just really get a sense of who God is. And so I'm excited uh, for us to look at it together. So please stand, and we'll look at it together. Uh, Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham, that is. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf and, that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent, behind the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you, you, you did laugh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that it would be life to us. We pray that you would meet us where we are and change us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can take a seat. Uh, a lot of people are making observations these days about how technology has changed us and uh, shaped our world and our culture, and one of the things that gets talked about a lot is how we never wait for anything anymore, right? You just never passively wait. Uh, for instance, uh, think about meeting up with someone. It used to be that if you were to meet someone for lunch or anywhere else, you would have to actually show up at the appointed time, and if you didn't, then the person would just sit there without any way to contact you, hoping you came. Or think about picking someone at the, up at the airport before cell phones, if you remember that. Uh, or you would, you would make plans to fly in to meet a friend, and you would say, I'm getting in at this time, and I'll just stand out there, and you come get me. And if they were running late, you just stood there 
or you would think, I wonder if they hit traffic, or maybe they had a flat tire, or maybe something came up. And you know, you would have to, then if it took a while, you would have to assess, like, is this a dependable person? Uh, will they eventually come, or should I find another way? Should I just sit here and do nothing and wait? I don't even have a phone to look at, or uh, make other plans. And uh, this is a part of Genesis where Abraham and Sarah have done a ton of waiting. Uh, we started the series in Genesis chapter 12, which is where God called Abram, and he promised him that he would use his family to bless the whole world. And the problem there was that Abram was childless at that point, and Abram was 75 years old already at that time. And we've moved along through Genesis, and Abraham is now 99. So 24 years have now passed since that first promise, and he's still waiting for a son. And the book of Genesis is written to Israel as they prepare to enter the promised land. And similarly, they've done a lot of waiting. For generations, 400 years or so, they, their ancestors were in Egypt. Meanwhile, Pharaoh was killing all the Israelite boys, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. They went into the wilderness for 40 years uh, before they prepared to enter the promised land waiting, clinging to a promise that is now 500 years old. And we struggle while we wait too, right? Uh, we live in this tension of trusting that, you know, I, I want to trust that God's going to come through for me here, and, but there's this outcome that I'm longing for deeply, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not, you know? And we, have, we cling to our, our version of this promise is all things will work for good for those who love God. And sometimes it just kind of feels like, really? doesn't seem like anything is working for good in my life or in my world. Uh, and yet to be part of God's covenant people means to be part of awaiting people, and people who live life God's way while they wait on him. So how can we wait on God? Well, we need to know God. And this is a real get-to-know-God passage, uh, because in the midst of Abraham and Sarah's waiting, God just shows up one day on a normal day, and it's a really cool narrative because in, in the beginning it says the Lord appeared to Abraham, but he doesn't know that. Like he, the narrator tells us ahead of time that it's the Lord, and Abraham's kind of figuring it out, and Sarah too, as they r relate to this God. And so what do they find out about God? What do we find out about God in this passage? We find out that God is near, that God is kind, and that God is powerful. So I want to first look at the fact that God is near in this passage. And it's just amazing because God just shows up. On a normal day, Abraham's taking his afternoon nap, because that's what you did back then. It was too high. In the heat of the day, you would sleep. Many cultures still do this, the siesta. So he's kind of waking up from his siesta, and some guys are there, three, three visitors. And, you know, there's some mystery here on who these people are. It seems like you know, it says the Lord is one of them, so this is some kind of pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. Uh, it is not the Trinity. Uh, we don't know who the other two guys are, but this is not the Trinity, but the Lord is there. Abraham seems to know that it's someone like that because he starts rushing around, being like, quick, you know, yelling at his wife, get stuff ready. 
and preparing for them, preparing to feed them. And the Lord stays for a meal. Uh, you didn't eat with just anyone back then. Sharing a meal was a sign of intimacy. And so uh, Abraham's really thankful that the Lord, these men stay for a meal, and they're just hanging out. Abraham, in this passage, is hanging out with the Lord. And it's saying you can know, God is knowable in this way. God is not a robot. God is not a genie. He is knowable. And Abraham, in fact, was a friend of God. And those who get to know God will know him more and more as a friend, a friend who's near. You know how good friends always know, you know, when you're with a good friend and something's wrong, something's up, and they say, I know, something's not right. What's going on? Uh, this God is like that. Because the interesting thing is this visit isn't for Abraham. It's for Sarah. The visit is for Sarah. While he's hanging out with Abraham, he's really meeting Sarah exactly where she is, which is unbelief. Because she's only heard of the promises through Abraham. She hasn't had the interaction with God that Abraham has. And so uh, she is struggling at this point, particularly with the fact that she's like 90 and still childless. And so uh, the Lord shows up for Sarah. Uh, there was a story in the news earlier this year about the president of North Macedonia, the country uh, in Europe. And uh, the story was that there was an 11-year-old girl with Down syndrome in North Macedonia, and she was being bullied in school. And so the president of her country showed up at her house and met with her parents uh, to talk about the struggles they've been having with bullying when their daughter in school, their poor 11-year-old daughter with Down syndrome. And then the next morning, the president walked hand-in-hand hand with the girl into school as a way of saying, like, don't mess with this girl anymore to the whole world. And it's just like, the, how did the president even find out about this girl? And yet he meets the parents and the girl exactly at their point of need. Okay, God is like this. He just knows intimately our difficulties, uh, and he comes close as we struggle. Now, he doesn't just leave us to struggle on our own, uh, but he shows up. He's never not aware of everything, okay? So God knows exactly what's going on with you. He knows all the details of what's going on with you, and he cares. Uh, does your prayer life reflect that? As you wait on God to fulfill his promises, are you beginning to know him as the friend who cares and knows and has come near? Uh, you need to know God as your friend, and he's an extraordinarily kind friend. So I want to look at the kindness of God in this passage. Uh, really amazing. God shows up specifically to meet Sarah's need, and Sarah seems pretty bitter toward God. Uh, it says that she's listening from the tent, so she's not there uh, in part of the meal with Abraham and the Lord. And it says in verse 12 that she laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out, my Lord, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And what I want us to see is this is not the kind of thing you would knowingly say to God. Like, you would never say this kind of thing out loud. There's all kinds of bitterness and cynicism toward God in what she's saying. You know, I'm worn out. Thanks a lot, God. 
And she says, shall I have pleasure? And uh, what you need to see is she's not talking about the pleasure of like being a mom. That may or may not be a pleasure to you. Um, but she's talking actually, it's a word that refers to sexual pleasure. So she's actually, what she's saying is actually kind of crass. She's like, you know, God, we're not really doing the thing that makes babies anymore. Uh, you know how old we are? So that's what she's God knows. So God knows what she's thinking. And yet the promise still stands. She even tries to deny it. She gets afraid. And she should, you know, like, and if this were any other person, she should be afraid. You know, she's probably worried, like, you don't say that. You don't come back from saying that, and that person's going to help you. But he does. It doesn't, he just straight up tells her, no, you did. That is what you said. And it doesn't change his commitment to her. She doesn't believe, and God is still kind. He doesn't cast her out. The promise still stands. And one of the hardest things about waiting on the Lord is that we also struggle with sin while we wait on the Lord, Right? And then when we struggle with sin, we kind of think, oh, well, now God's really given up on me, you know, and I, maybe God's actually just mean. We start to believe lies about God as we struggle with sin, and we think, I can't come back to this God. Uh, and this text is saying, no, you can. There's no amount of sin that you can't come back from with this God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is revealed as the kind God, the God full of grace for weak sinners. We talk about grace a lot in church. Usually it's defined as something like unmerited favor, uh, which is true. Grace is unmerited favor, but it's really like with God, it's more than just unmerited. It's that we merited the opposite. You know, like someone could give you a car and you could say, oh, what an act of grace. But biblical grace is like you wreck someone's car and then they give you a car. You get the opposite of what you deserve. Uh, this is a God we need to move toward even as we fail, even as we struggle to believe. Okay, so he's near and he's kind, but finally he's powerful. And this is where the narrative really centers. Um, we get hints of it at first. The visitor to Abraham knows Sarah's name without being introduced. That's the first hint, right? Uh, and then he starts, he hears Sarah's secret thoughts. So that's when you really know that this is someone with power. And Sarah, by the way, has the same reaction that Abraham already had a chapter before of unbelief. But then... She asks this question. She's like, after I'm worn out, I'm going to have a baby? Which is a logical question. She is way past the age of having babies. But then God responds to her logical question with another logical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Some translations say, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? You can kind of take your pick there. Because the Lord that's been revealed up to this point is, first of all, the creator God, the one who created all that we see by the word of his power. And later on, he floods the earth and recreates. So he can, can, he can, can help a woman conceive. 
doesn't mean God's obligated to do whatever we want. You know, that's the struggle, right? Uh, Does this mean that if I just have faith, God will just do uh, the thing I'm longing for, the thing I've been waiting for? And it's not always true, right? But faith is really typified and exemplified in the Bible. And one of my favorite stories as a kid and always, uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story? Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, God's people are in Babylon, and uh, these three men will not bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and so they're sentenced to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And before they go in, listen to what they say. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, listen to this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But then they say, but if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship uh, the golden image. You see what they're saying? They're they're saying, our God is able. He can rescue us. He might not, though. We're still going in. Okay, Faith says God has all the power, and if he's not doing things my way, the way I would be doing them, then it just means he must have some other better way, even if I never find out what that is. Well, in this case, God shows up, and in chapter 21, we, we read that Sarah has Isaac. It says, and, Sarah, and she has Isaac, and in chapter 21, it says, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Uh, So the laughter shows up again. This time it's joyful laughter. uh, The name Isaac means laughter. And it can mean also he cries out. Or it can mean, you know, it's all kinds of laughter. And so Sarah's first laugh was kind of a cynical scoff. And there was pain in it, but now it's just this laughter of, like, bewildered joy. Uh, a few years ago, uh, for my wife Maggie's birthday, we, I wanted to do something special, and so I planned a trip to New York City, a couple nights in New York, and spent a long time, you know, I wanted to make it really good, and so I wanted to pick out a great hotel, and so I spent a lot of time kind of browsing prices of nice hotels in New York, trying to find the best deal, moving points around, and... I got us two nights at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and, which is this great, fancy, historic hotel in New York City. And uh, I was really pumped to surprise her and take her there. And we got there, and we che- went to check in. And they said, hey, your room's not It's going to take about 40 minutes for your room to be ready. Can you guys just wait in the lobby? And something came over me, and I said, no, it's my wife's birthday, and I don't, we don't really have 40 minutes, so maybe you could just put us in a better room. And the guy goes, he looks, looks at the computer, and he says, okay. And the room he puts us in is this massive suite, bigger than, like, any apartment in New York City. It's got like 12-foot high ceilings, and it's got like, like the Beatles probably stayed in this hotel room. And it's got like a bathroom, but it's got like a little sitting room outside the bathroom, and then another room, like gigantic living room. And you know what we did the whole time we were there? We just laughed our heads off, because we knew we had no business, like there's no reason we should be staying in this room. And so we just laughed and laughed 
and laughed. And as God's people, we ought to just laugh all the time. Okay? God has come so, so, so near, and in his unbelievable kindness, he's de- demonstrated real power to save. At our old church in Connecticut that we were attending for a long time before we moved here, uh, there was a man named Pete. He's still there. And if you were to go there at our old church in Connecticut, you would probably meet Pete uh, because he's always there. He's a deacon at the church, serves in all kinds of ways. And one of the things he does on Sunday mornings is he passes out uh, children's bulletins. So there were these children's bulletins printed on all kinds of colors of paper. And he would always ask my kids, what, kind of, what, color, what color bulletin do you want this week? And Pete is a pretty stocky guy. Like you could tell... He's old now. He's, I think he's probably close to 70, but you could tell he was pretty tough. He could probably still beat me up today. And uh, so you'd wonder, and if you were to ask Pete, hey, say, hey, Pete, how are you doing? Without fail, Pete will say to you, better than I deserve. And so you'd wonder, well, what's the story with Pete? And the story with Pete is that Pete was a cocaine dealer. In the 1970s and 80s, he sold millions of dollars worth of cocaine. And then he met Jesus, and now he hands out children's bulletins at church, okay? The cocaine dealer handing out children's bulletins is just hilarious. Like, who does that? What kind of a God makes that happen? Okay, it doesn't make any sense. It's just, we ought to just laugh like that all the time, and maybe... You know, you're not a drug dealer, or maybe your sin is more like Sarah's, that kind of proud and cynical scoffing at God. Or maybe you're kind of a churchy person who lives a clean life. We learned from Jesus that those are actually the hardest people to save because they kind of feel like God owes them, which is way worse than being a cocaine dealer. But the bottom line is you being anywhere near God is more unlikely than a 90-year-old woman becoming pregnant. For you to be near God, it took a resurrection from the dead. That second person of the Trinity, he had to actually put on flesh and show up and live and die and rise for it to happen. Okay, the idea that there's, there's a place called North America where people are friends with God is unbelievable if you look at the life of Abraham. It's beyond comprehension. So if your God has power like that, if that God is near like he is, if that God is as kind as he is, you can obey. You can do things his way as you wait on him. Uh, You can even laugh and wonder while you wait. Uh, Let me pray uh, that we might do just that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... We give you praise for your work in our world, just this work of salvation that we're talking about, that we would know you, that you would come so close uh, that we might be able to even call you friend. I pray that we would know something of that this morning. I pray that you'd strengthen us as we wait, that you would minister to our hearts as we wait with longing for the things that we want to come untrue. Uh, We pray uh, for your glory in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.